This message comes from Wall Street Journal sponsor C3 AI. C3 Generative AI enables rapid access to secure, traceable, hallucination-free insights from enterprise systems, all while using any LLM, helping enterprises turn the invisible into the obvious. Learn more at C3.AI. Federal regulators sue to block a tie-up between Kroger and Albertsons, leaving the fate of one of the largest supermarket deals ever in question. And NVIDIA is on top of the AI economy. Could anything topple its dominance? NVIDIA is sort of the big gorilla in the room. Once you're that big, everybody sees you as a target. and Everybody's kind of scrambling to try to, in some way, get a piece of what NVIDIA has. Plus, in a surprise move, Iran has reduced its stockpile of near-weapons-grade nuclear material. It's Monday, February 26th. I'm Anne-Marie Fertoli for The Wall Street Journal. This is the PM edition of What's News, the top headlines and business stories that moved the world today. One of the largest supermarket mergers ever has hit a big hurdle. The Federal Trade Commission is suing to block Kroger's $25 billion bid for rival Albertsons. They're the nation's largest and second largest supermarket chains by sales and operate in many of the same areas. Here now with more is our agriculture business reporter, Patrick Thomas. So, Patrick, this tie-up was opposed nearly from the outset by lawmakers, unions, farm groups, and others. What is the FTC's rationale for filing this lawsuit? The FTC is basically saying that the deal would lead to higher food prices, it would harm union workers, bargaining power, and they're asking a court to block it. They're saying that their plan to divest hundreds of stores isn't going to be enough and that this is going to essentially hurt workers' abilities because these are two unionized supermarkets. And the FTC is concerned that by bringing them together, they will be the only presence in in many towns in Colorado, Washington, and and some other states, especially in the West. What are the supermarkets saying? The companies, they've said they look forward to presenting their argument in court. And their whole point is that this decision will actually lower food prices and strengthen unionized grocery workforces. They're doing this deal essentially to try and better compete with Amazon, Walmart, Costco, and Their whole point is these are two unionized stores, and by combining it gives them a better long-term viability, and they think this will help their technology and give them better power with suppliers, and they they kind of view this as a long-term, we need this for our survival, and the FTC is, is not buying that. All of this, of course, is coming at a time when President Biden is taking aim at large grocery chains over their high food prices as he's running for re-election. Yeah, I mean, it comes as Americans' income spent on food has reached a three-decade high, and inflation's been the biggest, one of the biggest stories in business for the, the last year. And President Biden has, has made it a huge initiative over recent weeks and even months to, to take aim at essentially large grocery chains and big food companies over high food prices and inflation accusing them of gouging shoppers and bringing in excess profits. So this is really in line with what the administration's rhetoric has been in recent weeks about trying to lower grocery prices. And they've said today that they're using every tool at their disposal to do so. This is pretty in line with what we've seen from the administration in a while and doesn't come as a huge surprise, but it's clearly been a big focus. So does this deal stand a chance? Washington and Colorado had already sued to stop the merger. Now the FTC has filed a lawsuit. Other states have joined on board. 
might we still see this tie-up happen? The outcome may depend on whether the companies can show that the stores they're offering to divest is essentially sufficient. It's hard to tell, but there's been mixed opinions depending on what the companies say and what the government has said. But in their merger agreement, they said they could go up to 650 stores. Some analysts have said that they would need to go higher than that. But at this point, it's pretty hard to tell what the outcome is and depends on on who you talk to. But the companies have been projecting optimism from the start. Wall Street Journal agriculture business reporter Patrick Thomas. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you. And as we continue to track the artificial intelligence boom, generative AI and streaming are already transforming the future of the movie and TV industry. We want to know, what questions do you have about how entertainment giants like Disney and Warner Brothers Discovery are deciding what to make? And how are you deciding what content's worth paying for? Has streaming changed your viewing habits? Send us a note, or even better, record a voice memo on your phone and send it to wnpod at wsj.com. That's wnpod at wsj.com. You can also leave us a voicemail at 212-416-4328. Just be sure to include your name and location. We might use it on the show. And speaking of AI, we'll talk more about the company at the top of the AI economy, NVIDIA and the great risks that come with great success. More after the break. This message comes from Wall Street Journal sponsor C3AI. C3 Generative AI enables rapid access to secure, traceable, hallucination-free insights from enterprise systems, all while using any LLM, helping enterprises turn the invisible into the obvious. Learn more at c3.ai. If you've been listening to What's News, you'll know one of our top stories recently has been the remarkable rise of chipmaker NVIDIA, which touched $2 trillion in valuation on Friday after a blockbuster earnings report last Wednesday. NVIDIA made billions of dollars selling graphics processing chips, or GPUs, in its first couple of decades. In the early aughts, when NVIDIA opened up its GPUs to anyone, it wasn't long before researchers discovered its chips could be used to build AI systems. The company is now dominating the artificial intelligence economy. And it might seem, especially after last week, like no one can touch it. But there are competitors and risks to the company's success. Here now with more is our semiconductor reporter, Asa Fitch. Welcome back, Asa. Hi, good to be here. So Asa, I can remember as a teenager playing early PC games and seeing the NVIDIA logo. I didn't know what it quite meant at the time. How did this company go from that to where we see it now, just like dominating this AI industry? Uh, So NVIDIA started out as a computer graphics company that made chips that basically made your video games run smoother with higher frame rates and crisper graphics. They still do that. But about a decade and a half ago, the company made a strategic decision to open up its chips for other people to exploit them, basically for other kinds of uses. Was there anything specific about NVIDIA, though, that enabled it to rise so quickly ahead of the competition? Well, NVIDIA is kind of an unusual company in the technology space. It was founded by Jensen Wong and two co-founders in 1993. Jensen is still the CEO of the company, which is pretty much unheard of in Silicon Valley. Another curious thing about the company really is that despite being a large company, many people would say it's fairly nimble. And its CEO, Jensen Wong, is renowned for it's stealing a culture in a company where there's a kind of a sense that you could go out of business very soon, and thus you need to act fast, act decisively, do new things, um, make it work, basically. And it may seem like they're untouchable now, but 
certainly I would expect the company is aware that there are other competitors. There's a lot of money to be made in this space. What are the biggest risks to NVIDIA's dominance? The main one is the competition. Now that it's very clear that AI computing is a lucrative market, there are many companies that that want a piece of that market. Um, from established companies like Intel and Advanced Micro Devices to AI chip startups that have their own specialist hardware for doing AI computation. Is anyone really coming close to challenging NVIDIA's position right now? Not really for the moment. There are these big cloud providers like Microsoft and Amazon and Google that are developing their own AI chips in-house that sit alongside NVIDIA's chips in their, in their data centers. So, you know, there's a little bit of tension there because they're some of NVIDIA's largest customers, yet they're still trying to develop their own hardware that does kind of the same stuff. The other challenges for the company, of course, one of them is regulatory. You know, whenever there's a company that dominates a market, competition regulators around the world come asking questions. And that's starting for NVIDIA, too. Regulators in China and um, in the UK, in the EU and in France have made inquiries about the company's business practices. Another big factor for them is just geopolitics. As AI becomes more important in the competition between nations like U.S. and China in particular, companies like NVIDIA just become embroiled in that. Right now, they're fine because there's tremendous demand for their chips in other places. But the company, the CFO, said this last summer that this kind of move could hurt opportunities for the broader U.S. chip industry in the longer term future. So a lot of potential challenges and risks up ahead. How is NVIDIA preparing to deal with those? First of all, it's developing new, better versions of its chips all the time. So it's trying to protect itself by just being better than everybody else in making these chips for AI. The company also is investing a lot more than it had in the past in startups and other companies that are building software and other tools and services around its chips. So the idea is you grow the quote-unquote, ecosystem of people who use NVIDIA's chips. They're also pitching the idea to governments around the world that they need to invest in their sovereign AI infrastructure, build up their own data centers and their own AI systems and things like that. So those are some of the ways that they're trying to protect their advantages right now. So you mentioned investment, and you and I have talked before about how expensive it is to produce semiconductor chips. We know NVIDIA hit $2 trillion last week briefly, but at some point, will the cost become prohibitive for NVIDIA or its competitors? Might that become an issue as well? That's another risk. I mean, the the world is shifting away from training up or creating these big AI systems like ChatGPT and Llama, which is the thing Meta is doing. They're moving from that phase of investment in making these things to actually deploying them. And in the deployment phase, many people believe that NVIDIA doesn't have as large of a moat where it's not going to be as successful in fending off competition. It really dominates in training or creating these things. But when you start deploying them, people are really concerned about driving down the cost of doing that stuff. And NVIDIA's chips are not cheap. They're very fast, but they're certainly not cheap. So there's a lot more competition there for them potentially looking forward. That's Wall Street Journal semiconductor reporter Asa Fitch. In other news, Iran has reduced its stockpile of near-weapons-grade nuclear material, although it continues expanding its overall nuclear program. That's according to the International Atomic Energy Agency, which is the UN's atomic watchdog. The surprise move could help ease tensions between the U.S. and Iran, as the two countries seek to avoid direct confrontation in the broader regional conflict that grew out of the Israel-Hamas war. 
Iran still has enough near-weapons-grade material to fuel almost three nuclear weapons, underlining its status as a threshold nuclear weapon state. There was no immediate comment from U.S. officials. Sweden is set to become the 32nd member of the NATO alliance. Hungary has approved Sweden's membership, clearing the last hurdle for the alliance to complete an expansion launched in response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg said it's an historic day. This remains uh, uh, one of the quickest accession process, uh, processes in NATO's uh, uh, history. Uh, we have to remember that uh, uh, Sweden uh, applied in May uh, 2022, all in July, all allies invited them. Uh, invited Sweden to become a member, and, and and since then Sweden has been very strongly integrated into uh, uh, NATO military and civilian structures. There are still a few logistical matters to tie up. Hungary's approval needs to be signed into law, then deposited in Washington, where the State Department administers NATO's founding treaty. Then Sweden will officially become a member, and its flag will be raised at NATO's headquarters in Brussels. And former President Donald Trump has appealed a New York judge's order requiring him to pay $355 million plus interest in a civil fraud trial that has put the future of his real estate business at risk. The judge imposed the penalties this month after finding Trump inflated the value of his real estate empire to secure low-interest financing. In a filing today, Trump's lawyers said they would ask a state appeals court to determine whether the judge committed errors of law, abused his discretion, or acted in excess of his jurisdictions. It's possible the proceedings could last a year or more. And finally, there's a total eclipse coming in early April, sweeping over a stretch from Texas to Maine. And some enthusiasts are planning to see it from a unique vantage point, aboard an airplane. It's no easy feat. And not only because tickets for flights in the areas where the eclipse is visible go for up to $1,000, but also because totality, which is when the moon completely obscures the sun, is a moving target, and it only lasts for three to four minutes. Still, air travel reporter Allison Sider says eclipse chasers are taking their chances to see this rare event above the clouds. Some of the photos and videos that people have taken from airplane seats of total solar eclipses are, are really remarkable you can get the right timing, if you can be on the right flight, sitting on the right side of the plane, you know, if you can align everything up, which is a challenge, it sounds like you can really see something amazing. One person I spoke to is flying all the way from Amsterdam to Texas, getting on a flight from Austin to Detroit, and then just flying straight back to Amsterdam that same night. And if you're wondering, the whole trip involves 30 hours of traveling, all for that three to four minute experience. It's not for me. I'll try my luck booking a hotel room on the ground. And that's what's news for this Monday afternoon. Today's show was produced by Pierre Bienname and Anthony Bansi with supervising producer Michael Cosmides. I'm Anne-Marie Fratoli for The Wall Street Journal. We'll be back with a new show tomorrow morning. This message comes from Wall Street Journal sponsor C3 AI. C3 Generative AI enables rapid access to secure, traceable, hallucination-free insights from enterprise systems, all while using any LLM, helping enterprises turn the invisible into the obvious. Learn more at C3.ai.